God is active in calling people to serve him. He's called you. He's called everyone in this congregation to serve him by serving others in some form or fashion. God is working, especially among our young people, our students, and there's a number of them who have a sense of calling. And so today, Leandra Machan is going to come, and she's going to share the message today. But this is what I want you to understand. This isn't the first time Leandra is sharing the Word of God. This isn't the first time she's preaching. We have a little preaching lab happening in our um, youth ministry that's going on. We have a number of our, our students who are down there. They're, they're learning how to preach. They're learning the Word of God. They're learning what it means to deliver the Word of God. Leandra is going to begin her formal preparation towards ministry at Eastern Nazarene College this fall, trying to figure out that call, following the call of God. And we as a congregation in new ways, in broader ways, and in deeper ways, need to continue to figure out ways to not only affirm the call, but then say, well, let's put the call into action in the lives of our young people. Because like I said when I was talking about um, VBC, this isn't about, Leandra's not about the church of the future. She's about the church now. This is the church now. So may God open up our hearts to the word of God through Leandra this morning as we turn together to Psalm 51. Let's just welcome Leandra as she preaches today. Good morning. Is this working? Can you hear me? Okay. So I'd like to start off today with um, a story. So I was about seven years old, um, and I woke up one day, and I went to the bathroom to get ready, and so I'm brushing my hair, and I have this, like, massive knot in my hair because I was a crazy sleeper when I was little. I would go to bed with, like, my head on the pillow like normal, and I'd wake up at the foot of my bed, with my head at the foot of my bed, underneath all the covers, like wondering how the heck I got there and how the heck I was going to get out. <laughs> so I'm getting ready this day and I'm like so frustrated at this knot in my hair. And I'm tearing and I'm tearing at it and it's just not budging. And I'm probably yanking at this knot for like 10 straight minutes until finally the hairbrush just breaks in half. <laughs> Okay, and so I let out this like scream of frustration. I was so mad at my hair. And so <laughs> my parents come rushing to the bathroom. They probably don't even remember this, but they come rushing to the bathroom because I let out this wail. They probably thought I was dying or something. Um, and I don't remember what happened after that. My mom probably fixed my hair and I went on my day. But I remember so vividly being so frustrated at this knot that I just could not get out of my hair on my own, but I was too stubborn to ask for help. And I wonder if we ever do the same thing with the sin and the brokenness in our lives. Do we ever sit staring at ourselves in the mirror and just try and try to brush out the knots of sin and pain and hurt in our lives, but we just can't get rid of them. They just won't budge. I know I've had moments in my life where I am just ripping at the knots of sin in my life and they just won't budge. 
tearing at the ways that I judge others prematurely, or tearing at the ways I get caught in the devil's game of comparison, tearing at the temptation of sexual impurity, or of complacency in my faith life, or of ignoring God's call on my life because it's just easier that way. And I would try and try to get these knots out of my life, but I just couldn't get them to budge. What knots might you have in your life today that you've been futilely and frustratingly ripping at, but they just won't budge? In Psalm 51, David takes a different approach to straightening out these knots in his life. If you'd like to turn to Psalm 51, I'm going to be reading there in just a moment, but first I'd like to give you a little bit of context. So this is a Psalm of David, and in Psalm 51, David writes it when the prophet Nathan comes to him after he has committed adultery with Bathsheba. And the full story of Bathsheba and David can be found in 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. Um, But in this story, David sends the king's men and the Israelites off to war against the Ammonites while he stays in Jerusalem. And One night, he's roaming the palace, and from the rooftop, he sees this woman bathing. And he calls her, he sends for her, and has her come to the palace to sleep with him. And now David was in a position of power. He was King David. And you don't really say no to someone in a position of power. So this woman comes to the palace and sleeps with David, perhaps without consent or unwillingly so. And this woman's name was Bathsheba, and she was married. And shortly after this happens with David and Bathsheba, Bathsheba becomes pregnant. And she tells David this immediately. And as soon as he finds out, he starts planning a cover-up. He doesn't want anyone to know that he's gotten this woman pregnant out of wedlock and while she was married to someone else. So he sends for Uriah, and Uriah comes to the palace, and he invites Uriah to come home from the war. He's fighting the war against the Ammonites. And David asks Uriah to come home and spend the night with his wife, to get away from the fighting and and just spend a night with his wife. And this might sound great, but David's hope here is that Uriah will spend the night with his wife and her pregnancy will be accounted for. However, Uriah was a loyal soldier and refused to come home while his men were still fighting the battle. So now David has to come up with another plan. So he has Uriah sent to the front lines of battle where he's likely to die. And sure enough, Uriah is killed soon after that. So David then marries Bathsheba, who is now widowed. He must have thought he was off the hook. Whew, right? The husband is dead. He's now married to Bathsheba. So no one's going to know that he's gotten her pregnant out of wedlock, or that he had committed adultery with her. But see, David wasn't off the hook. After Bathsheba and David get married, the prophet Nathan comes to David, and he tells David that God is unhappy with him, 
and that by killing Uriah and taking his wife, he's done what is evil in God's eyes. And God also tells David through the prophet Nathan that the child him and Bathsheba have conceived is to die as punishment for these sins. And so David starts fasting and praying and pleading with God to spare his child. But seven days later, the child dies. And so it is somewhere in those dark days after Nathan prophesied to David that David wrote Psalm 51. In the midst of such brokenness caused by his own sins, in the midst of intensely tangled knots in David's life, he writes these words found in Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions and wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sin and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God, my Savior. And my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O oh God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar." So this psalm starts out with a plea. In the first four verses, David petitions for God to have mercy on him and confesses his sins to God. He asks God to blot out his transgressions, wash away all his iniquities, and cleanse him from his sin. And he also confesses that he has done what is evil in God's eyes. David is admitting that he has knots in his life that he just can't brush out. Yet even in doing these things, in petitioning and in confessing, David also points to who God is. He describes God as having unfailing love and great compassion in verse 1, and says that God is right in his verdict and justified when he judges in verse 4. Now, this is vitally important because this understanding 
who God is, helps us to understand why we bring our brokenness to him. Looking to who God is orients us back to understanding why we must bring our brokenness to God. This psalm describes God as loving, compassionate, right, and just. And countless other scriptures point to God, just as this psalm does, as being a good, good father. 1 John 1, verse 5, says that God is light. 2 Peter 3, verse 9, describes him as patient. James 1, 17, points to his character as unchanging. Psalm 18, 30, says that his way is perfect and his word is flawless. Psalm 16, 116, verse 5, tells us that God is gracious, righteous, and full of compassion. So in his pleas for redemption, the psalmist continually points back to the character of God, and so must we. The scripture shows that we bring our brokenness to God because of who he is, his patient, unchanging, flawless, gracious, righteous, and compassionate character longs to transform our brokenness and to brush out our knots. Will we accept his grace and his help? Bringing our brokenness to God, who is light, according to 1 John, invites light into the dark parts of our souls. And that is why we do it. Our relationship with God is strengthened when we willingly show him all of who we are. Don't get me wrong here, God sees all of who we are, whether we invite him to or not. But when we willingly show the Lord our full selves, his light can penetrate those dark places we try to hide from him. But his light enters only when we invite it to. In 1 John 1, verses 7 through 9, it says this, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So where might you need God's light to penetrate today? Where in your life does his compassionate character need to be invited into? As David goes on in this psalm, he moves from confession to praying that God will make him new. He asks God to cleanse him with hyssop and wash him. Hyssop was a shrub used in Jewish purification rites. So when David asks God to cleanse him with hyssop, he is pleading, God, make me pure. And so first, David pleads for mercy and forgiveness, and he confesses his sins to God. And then in the middle of this psalm, he starts asking God for restoration. David asks God to cleanse him, wash him, create in him a pure heart, renew a steadfast spirit in him, and restore him to the joy of God's salvation. This is so beautiful because we realize that when we leave our sin and our brokenness at the foot of the cross, we get to pick something up, restoration. 
When we leave our sin and our brokenness at the foot of the cross, we pick up restoration. David writes in verse 12, Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And that is what our hope looks like. Because God doesn't just look at the sins and the burdens that we leave at the cross and say, thanks, you can go now. (laughs) No, God actually does what the psalmist is talking about here. God sustains us. And it's not just a temporary renewal that we get when we decide to give our lives over to Jesus. God is continually renewing us, giving us a willing spirit that sustains us. In Philippians 4.13, we read, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And this verse is quoted so much that maybe it's lost value to some of our ears. But what this verse is telling us is that Christ's salvation sustains us. And just before that verse, in Philippians 4.12, the writer actually calls Christ the secret uses that word, secret, to being content in all situations, good and bad. Christ sustains us in all situations. And I wonder in this world where things often seem fleeting, do we maybe need something that will sustain us? As the psalm comes to an end, David again asks God to deliver him from his guilt promising to praise God and teach others about him. And then David offers his sacrifice to God, and he writes, You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered at your altar. See, David knows that worldly sacrifices aren't going to please God in this case. And that doesn't mean that we never have to sacrifice physical things to God. Verse 19 is clear that God delights in the sacrifices of the righteous. Our sacrifices may not be burnt offerings or bulls as described in this psalm, but God does call his people to make sacrifices such as money, time, possessions. But verse 19 here is clear that God only delights in these sacrifices when they are from the righteous, from those who are in right relationship with God. And at this point in his life, David is not in right relationship with God, So he knows that the only acceptable sacrifice is his brokenness. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. Furthermore, in David's time, there were rules about what kind of sacrifices you could make to cover certain sins. However, there was no sacrifice that you could make for deliberate sin like David's. So by rule and tradition, literally the only thing David could offer was his broken spirit. David L. Thompson explains it this way. 
No sin offering is available to cover these sins. They are capital offenses. The psalmist should only expect death. The whole psalm, then, is based on mercy apart from sacrifice. The penitent here has no recourse but to throw himself on the mercy of God. And Thompson also says that instead of burnt offerings and physical sacrifices, God prefers a disposition of heart that shows awareness of the gravity of what one has done in one's sin and gratitude towards God for his deliverance. Isn't it an incredible thing that first and foremost, God wants our broken spirits? First and foremost, Yahweh wants our broken spirits. Will I bring mine to him? Will you bring your brokenness to God and invite the God who sustains into your heart? You see, we have these knots of sin in our life that we try and try to tear out. But the truth is, the only one who can untangle those knots is God. And he's given us this really strong sort of hairbrush to help us. It's called the Bible. (laughs) But we still can't do it without him. So my sacrifice, oh God, is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. This kind of undoing leads to renewing. Letting ourselves be undone at the feet of Christ allows God to then make us new. Shauna Gaines says this in talking about how our undoing leads to holiness. She says that our undoing ought to lead to new creation. And with God, our undoing does lead to new creation. But the undoing has to come first. Will we let ourselves be undone? My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart that you, God, will not despise. I want us to just sit with that today. I'm going to close us in a word of prayer and invite the worship team to come up. Dear God, I just pray that we would be open to letting you undo us. God, I pray that our sacrifice today would be our broken spirits. You, God, you won't despise them. God, I pray that that we will sit in those words and contemplate what they mean for our lives. I thank you for your loving, compassionate character, God. And I just pray that as we leave today, we sit in giving ourselves and our brokenness over to you. What a good word, a word of God for the people of God. You know, it dawns on me as Leandro was sharing about the knots in the hair. Obviously, some of us struggle with the illustration a little bit. But we all have knots. What my knots may be may not be your knots. What knots you have 
I may not identify with. But here's the good news. We have a father whose arms are open wide. And he just says, I know. I know you have those thoughts. Why don't you just come? And the role and the, uh, the place and the way to finding those knots untangled is exactly what we just sang. I surrender to the God whose arms are open wide. So as we go from this place today, I pray that we will come to God with our broken and contrite spirit that our faithful God will untangle the knots within us. That we would come to him and surrender our knots. And that he would then make us new creation. That he would renew us that he would continue to shape us in his image and that our lives would be an honor and a glory and a sacrifice to him. All to Jesus, we surrender. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Greet one another in Jesus' name.